Generative AI companies are struggling to find the best pricing model for their expensive generative products. Private equity deals are down, but there's a silver lining in take private deal value. And Excel releases its Euroscape 2023 report. I'm Jackson Fordyce, and this is Venture Daily. If you have a generative AI product, you pay a compute price every time someone uses your tool. The processing power required to generate something is not free, and if you're the owner of a generative AI company, you're currently trying to figure out how to price the service you provide fairly. That's not an easy ask, and different gen AI companies have approached it in different ways. Microsoft, for example, charges subscription rates ranging from $5 to $40 for its AI-assisted co-pilots. Box, a cloud content management platform, does it differently, opting for a credit system. Box provides users 20 credits for queries each month, but with access to the user's company's pool of an additional 2,000 queries. And then there's Adobe, which also has a subscription plan combined with the credit system. For $4.99, users receive 100 generative credits per month. But no system is perfect, and companies are experimenting right now not only how to price these products, but whether they should consider products as selling points for existing features or as new products, according to Axios's Ina Fried. Adobe's chief strategy officer, Scott Belsky, tells Axios that product pricing structures aren't just about making money, and that Adobe's credit system can also help the company gain dedicated subscribers. As leading generative AI companies continue to roll out pricing structures for their services, we're likely to start seeing a consensus form around the most optimal model for consumers and producers alike. To discuss the fast-changing world of generative AI pricing, I spoke with Michael Marks. Great. So I'm Michael Marks, and I'm the founder and general partner of Celestial Capital, venture capital firm. Michael, big picture. Why are software developers struggling with putting a consistent price on generative AI services? Well, you know, generative AI is is just such a noisy space, and 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 so people don't know you know, really how the products are going to be used. There's, you know, there's all kinds of competing claims and it's hard to come up with pricing when, um, you know, you're really not, not sure how your product, you know, sits in the marketplace competitively with others, how, you know, how companies are going to use it, how they're going to value it. So I think it's going to take a while for this one to sort out. I really do. Companies like Microsoft, Box and Adobe have implemented cost structures for their generative AI features. Microsoft charges a subscription, Box provides 20 queries per month, but you pay more if you go over, and Adobe has free and paid plans. Should companies view generative AI features as selling points for existing services or as entirely new products? Well, again, you know, I mean, I understand the the point of the question. This is such a new area and the and, and how well these these products would be used right now. You know, when you see what's happened with, you know, ChatGPT and, and, and you know the valuations of some of these things that everybody is just throwing out there that they have generative AI. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I think there's a lot of experimentation going on. And so when when you ask are these, you know, are these features or are they new products? I I, I don't think there's a simple answer to that, to be mm-hmm. honest. I think that what you're going to find in the marketplace is people are going to try very different approaches and they're going to see what sticks. And then there's going to be a business model that, that a lot of companies will adhere to, you know, and this is going to take a couple of years to play out, I'm pretty sure. Michael, last question. Are you as a venture capital firm advising your portfolio companies on how to price generative AI services? And if so, what's your advice? Yeah, uh, you know, again, you know, very, very good questions. You're asking the questions that everybody's trying to sort out here, right? Which is, you know, 
I mean, how how best to think about it, how to cut through the noise and, and get people to use it. And I think that the that the pricing, you know, the, the, the pricing doesn't really matter very much right now in terms of, I mean, as opposed to, you know, getting customers to adopt the product, making sure that when 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 our companies call things generative AI, that in fact they are generative AI. Because, you know, we went through this with, you know, with e-commerce platforms and SaaS platforms and ARR, and you have all these sort of buzzwords. And it's really important for the companies to get focused on delivering real value. And if they can do that, then then pricing will sort will sort its way out. So we're really we're really focused on getting the companies to make sure that they're delivering real value to the customers, as opposed to convincing themselves that they have something good. That was Michael Marks, founder and general partner at Celesta Capital. Thanks a lot, Michael. Really enjoyed your insights on this. Okay, thanks. Recent PitchBook data reveals that private equity deal value has dropped by nearly 60% since last year. A huge plummet, but there is one encouraging finding in the data. Large-scale take-private deals have held quite strong this year. Before we get to take-private, though, here's a quick breakdown of the private equity deal value falloff this year. At its 2022 peak, PE deal value reached $138.8 billion. So far this year, it sits just below $60 billion. As we've discussed on the show before, there are many culprits. High interest rates, unsustainable and lofty company valuations, inability to raise capital, and economic uncertainty have put private markets through a brutal correction. But take private deals, transactions in which publicly traded companies return to private company status, have helped keep that $60 billion number from being a lot lower. One of the most notable is Silver Lake and the Canada Pension Plan Investment Board's take private of customer experience management company Qualtrics for $12.5 billion. Blackstone also acquired software company Cvent for $4.6 billion, and Vista Equity Partners agreed to acquire EngageSmart for $4 billion. Those three deals alone make up for more than a third of all private equity deal value so far in 2023. With turbulent public markets this year, take private deals look attractive for many enterprise software companies. And for growth in private equity firms who can acquire these at a discount, it's been a win-win for both. For more on how take private deals have carried private equity, I spoke with Brad Bernstein. This is Brad Bernstein, managing partner at FTV Capital. Brad, private equity deal value has dropped by nearly 60% since 2022. Much of the deal value of this year has come from large-scale take-private deals. Do you expect this trend to continue into 2024? Absolutely. I think there is a lot of opportunity still with public technology software companies that went public in the peak of the market and lost the conviction of their initial shareholders as the markets unwound and as performance didn't live up to expectation. And many of these are exceptional companies that are not loving life in the public market. And I think that's going to create additional opportunities for companies to go back to the private market, which I think many of them feel is a better home to execute on their next stage of growth and achieve the kind of objectives they have for the long term. With the majority of private equity deal value in 2023 coming from take private deals, do investors feel as if the industry is reliant on these deals more than standard PE investments or acquisitions? I think it's a little bit misleading. There's a lot of deals going on at the lower end. The dollar volume doesn't reflect the number of transactions at the low end. I think what you're seeing in the middle of that market of the market is that 
we're still working through sellers and buyers being able to meet on price. And so transaction volume was low. And, it, and if you step back from it, it's actually a positive sign. Because if you have companies that are performing well, and you know that you're in the middle of an interest rate hiking cycle, where value and kind of risk off is, is the mindset and values are gonna be lower, because people are scared about where interest rates are going to go, you know, you don't want to sell into that if your company is performing well. If a lot of transactions were happening, it would probably be a sign of distress or people being concerned. I think a lot of people are saying, hey, my company is performing well. This isn't a great environment to be a seller. I'm going to wait till we get through this interest rate hiking cycle and people see that we're past the terminal rate. They start to be more optimistic. And then that'll be a risk-on environment where it'll be more likely that I'll get full value for my assets. So I think there's a lot of pent-up demand. There's a very strong pipeline in the middle market. And I think over the next 12 months, we're going to start to see that materialize. Brad, last question. Do you think we've seen a bottom in the private equity market? Do you expect we'll see an uptick in deal count and value in 2024? I definitely think we've seen a bottom in volume. I think we're going to see an uptick in activity next year. I don't believe that the IPO pipeline is going to get to market quite the way people expect. I think there will be more activity on the private side. I think there's also more dry powder in the private markets that's available uh, and we'll be looking for some of these opportunities. So that should be very attractive. That being said, I think that we have not yet seen some of the peak valuation deals that need to be reset, the down rounds, the restructurings, uh, the deleveraging that is going to need to happen from sort of peak bubble activity that people are sort of delaying, deferring, hoping for the best. But I think over the next year or two, there will be more visibility to venture deals and highly levered deals that need some reworking and, and, and might, might show some more disruption in the market. That was Brad Bernstein, managing partner at FTV Capital. Great speaking with you, Brad. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. Great to be with you. Take care. Excel, a leading venture capital firm with investment history in companies like Facebook, Slack, and Dropbox, has just released its Euroscape 2023 report, it tracks the trends in SaaS company development and what to expect from the future of the tech ecosystem. Data from Euroscape 2023 finds that the tech industry could be on the road to recovery. For instance, in 2000, during the financial crisis, it took the Nasdaq 14 years to return to 80% of its peak. In 2021, after the collapse caused by the pandemic, it took just 18 months to reach that same milestone, reaching that 80% figure in May of this year. And there are other signs of a recovering tech market too, according to the report. They include stabilized interest rates, declining inflation, low unemployment rates, signs of an IPO window reopening, and M&A regaining momentum with deals such as Splunk's $29 billion and Adenza's $10.5 billion acquisitions. Euroscape 2023 also takes a look at the future of Gen AI and how it will impact enterprise SaaS companies through six important ways. The emergence of specialized applications, Gen AI-powered media creation, Gen AI tooling and infrastructure, intelligent automation, companies transitioning to the modern data stack, and new cybersecurity features. For a deeper dive into Excel's Euroscape 2023 report, I spoke with one of the firm's partners, Philippe Batteri. Hi, I'm Philippe Batteri, partner with Excel based in our London office. 
Philippe, the Euroscape report finds that it took the NASDAQ 14 years to return to 80% of its peak in 2000, but it only took 18 months in 2021. What are some of the factors that caused this rapid growth? Why was the recovery in 2021 so much faster than in 2000? I think there are a couple of reasons for that. I think the, the first reason is that um, now tech as uh, and software have become part of every business's uh and so for you know businesses rely on technology and and they need technology you know in good times and in bad, bad times and the second the second reason which i think um is more interesting is the fact that now you have the emergence of generative ai which is basically fueling the next wave of innovation um for any uh, piece of software like generative ai is fundamentally fundamentally changing that the way software is designed and its potential, uh, and, and I think all this, um, you know, all the, um, the the synergies that are going to be and the um, the benefit of AI have, you know, potential benefit of AI have attracted massive investments in the space, which I think have fueled this recovery as well. You mentioned how companies have, quote, moved away from growth at all costs to focus on profitability. How can Gen AI companies focus on profitability if many of them are still unsure about a path to profitability? Well, I, I think there are uh, sort of a couple of questions that you're asking. First, I think when you think about focusing on profitability, I, I think this is about this is for companies which are, are at scale, like when you have a business model at scale and at the same time you have you know pressure on the top line because of the macro environments your growth is slowing down if you have a good business model you should generate profit right because the way it works um you know for SaaS companies the faster you grow you more the more you need to invest upfront in your customer acquisition so for the less profitable you're going to be but then if growth slow down then you should be profitable and that's what investors want to see i think when you look at generative ai you're looking at something which is quite different. Um, you know, a lot of the investment going into generative AI have been in, going into building and trading model. And so you can't expect these models to generate revenue before they have been uh, trained, right? So I, I think here, uh, you know, there is a different lens you need to have in terms of profitability, but with obviously having in mind that when these models will be used and at scale, they will generate profit. And if you look at what Microsoft has done with OpenAI, I mean, Microsoft is already, you know, starting to sell um, OpenAI technology to all of our enterprises, um, and it seems to be going quite well. Philippe, last question. The report notes six ways Gen AI will affect the future, including the emergence of specialized applications, everyone can be an artist, Gen AI tooling and infrastructure, intelligent automation, transition to the modern data stack, and new cybersecurity features. Of these six, which do you think will have the most meaningful impact on the lives of consumers? Well, I mean, I think it's a, it's a hard question for me to answer, given that the uh, this entire report is focusing on you know software for the enterprise. So we haven't really looked at the the consumer angle. Um, but on the enterprise side, I would say that you know for me, the three areas where you're going to see the the biggest impact are going to be one is going to be around enterprise automation and. You know, Journey VI is giving, giving the ability to automation platform like UiPath to automate um, a lot more complex processes. So suddenly the number of processes you can automate is really increasing uh, because you're getting into these processes that you couldn't automate before, but now with new technology, you can. 
um, you know, the second area is media, um, you know, creation where Journey VI is really drastically reducing the cost and time to create digital media. Uh, and that is, you know, generating a lot of productivity, but also unleashing a new, a lot of new use cases. Uh, and I would say, you know, if you want to tie it to the consumer, it's probably the area where there's going to be the biggest uh, impact, even though the technology is uh, becoming so good that now you can't tell if something is synthetic versus um, an AI generated versus, you know, being film and, and real. Um, but on the business side, I mean, think about company like, you know, Synthesia, for example, uh, that are kind of turning text into video avatar for communication and learning or think about assembly AI, which enables company to build kind of AI application with voice data. So you're seeing like a new wave of innovation around media. And the, the third area where, where I think JI is going to have also a you know, big impact in the enterprise is going to be cyber um, security, where JI is basically being incorporated into cybersecurity solution, improving drastically their capabilities. Uh, and so you think about companies like Snake on, you know, kind of developer security platform using GenAI to analyze vulnerabilities in code and suggest fixes, for example, or Sierra, which uses uh, kind of a cloud data security using Journey AI to really identify at a very granular level the type of data you have in a data store. So these are kind of, for me, the kind of three key areas where we think GenAI uh, will have a, an impact. That was Philippe Bateri, partner at Excel. Philippe, such a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us. My pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for tuning in to Venture Daily. Today's show is produced by Josiah Simons and Jackson Fordyce. Our theme song was created by Benjamin Cook. If you liked today's episode, please give us an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see y'all tomorrow morning.